Hey friends, if you wish you weren't hearing an ad right now, then straight after you listen to this episode, head over to watchnebula.com slash not overthinking with a little hyphen thing in between the not and the overthinking. So watchnebula.com slash not dash overthinking. Through Nebula, you'll firstly get access to all of our podcast episodes ad-free. Secondly, you'll see exclusive content from me and a load of other educational-ish creators. And thirdly, it directly supports this podcast. So you'll incentivize me and Tame to record more episodes. My name is Ali. I'm a doctor and YouTuber. I'm Taymor. I'm a data scientist and writer. And you're listening to Not Overthinking, the weekly podcast where we think about happiness, creativity, and the human condition. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Not Overthinking. Ali, what's going on? I'm just in the middle of eating some sushi that I just ordered. Ah, oh, a bit so, of the old uh, sushi o tabimasu. Exactly. <laughs> Sushi, sushi got ski des. I think I should say suki desu. <laughs> that, yeah, I think that that's uh, the authentic pronunciation. Yeah, suki desu. Sushi got suki desu. Um, no, I've just been live streaming for the last like five hours while being productive on my day off work in social distancing, isolation, and stuff because you know not allowed to leave the house anymore. Oh yeah. So what's how how are you guys handling all that? Because like uh, you you still have to go to work, right? Yes. So basically going to work and then just not having any social contact outside of work. It's so just same as same as usual then. Exactly. Exactly. Um except now even Molly's keeping a distance from me, so <laughs> same as usual. <laughs> <laughs> nice. That was good. Um yeah, same. I've uh, I've I came back to St Albans a few days ago and I'm quarantining myself here for the foreseeable future. It kind of sucks that you spend all that money on that flat in London. I know, yeah. It's annoying. <laughs> And then literally like a month later, suddenly everyone's in lockdown. <laughs> nah, it's more like two months. I, Lucas Lucas and his girlfriend are still living there, so they're getting some good mileage okay. out of it. So, so someone's getting value out of it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I think this this week we we, we should talk about the Pete current affairs. The room. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Current affairs. We're talking about current affairs? What? <laughs> okay, fine. Yeah. Let's talk about current affairs. But before we do so, what's the message we have to share with everyone? The message is for everyone to please... Please stay home. And not only that, stay home and try a class on Skillshare. Uh, Skillshare is the best way to teach yourself anything online. Keep going. I'm, I'm eating my sushi. All right. Have you ever wondered, man, why didn't I ever learn screenwriting? Or, man, I, I'd really like to learn comedy. Or, I'd really like to understand economics. These are all things that I've wondered over the years. And Skillshare can actually help you with all of these things that we're all quarantined now we're all holed up this is a perfect time to try picking up a new hobby learning a new thing that you've always wanted to learn and skillshare is a great way to do it amongst the like netflixing and having you know rude video calls with your friends i think everyone would uh would benefit from a cheeky skillshare class i think so so skillshare.com forward slash not overthinking for a two-month free trial you know, if this or if all this stuff blows over in two months, then great, you've got your two month free trial. And after that, the annual subscription is less than ten dollars a month, and with that, you get access to thousands of classes on Skillshare. In fact, did you know, Tamor? I've got my own second Skillshare class coming out on the thirty first of March. I can't wait. So, what is it? Yeah, it's gonna be. It's called How to Study for Exams. Evident, evidence based revision tips, or <gasps> I, something like that. I I feel like I need a catchier title for it, but it's it's like. 35 videos is like four and a half hours worth of content so even though lots of people's exams are cancelled that means you know they can be self-motivated to study for their exams by watching my skillshare class in about 10 days time yeah the uh classes yeah the exam cancellations kind of thrown a spanner in the works for you hasn't it has it i don't know like who's gonna buy this course right now <laughs> they have to buy it because it's on skillshare so with, with just one one subscription, they can get access, access to it for free. And if they go to skillshare.com forward slash not overthinking, they can get a free two-month trial. And therefore, the course is basically, the class rather, is basically free. That sounds Other great. classes you can check out on my friend Thomas Frank's productivity or habits building class. Yeah, skillshare.com forward slash not overthinking. Have we talked about that enough now? I think I feel like we have. I feel like we've got our money's worth. Oh, they've got their money's worth. <laughs> <laughs> and as a result, we will get our money's worth. <laughs> All right, so right, coronavirus. Mm. Let's, you know, you're the doctor. You know, you made some YouTube videos about this. What? Yep. Uh, okay, yeah, I guess what's um, what do we care about talking about about this? I so I would quite like so I my main exposure to what's going on is via Twitter, and I think uh, you know, like with like with most things, I think I was slightly ahead of the ahead of the curve 
uh, if you will, on this because uh, most oh, of my Oh, and yeah. <laughs> yeah. Flatten the curve and all that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You were ahead of... Oh, God, I get it. Yeah. So mo- most of my Twitter feed is from, like, people in the US. And it seems like uh, they're... I mean, I think the US is still kind of behind a lot of other countries, but the UK is even further behind in terms of, like... I, I guess in terms of, like, the spread of the uh, the virus and in terms Wait, what, of... What, what, what do you mean by behind? Behind, but yeah, like, you know, the, the virus started spreading more in the u.s before it started you know yeah. really taking off in the uk and then and and also like behind in the sense that like the the discourse in the u.s or at least in the twitter in the twitter sphere the u.s it's a very sphere, specific twitter sphere yeah yeah the, the sort of uh you know new york slash san francisco twitter discourse has been like everyone don't leave your homes for a while and uh, maybe like, I think like a week ago or something, maybe just under a week ago in California, there is actually like a state mandated, uh, you know, lockdown where you are not allowed to leave your house. And it seems like we're moving towards that in the UK. Uh, I think, I think yesterday or something, Boris Johnson ordered every, you know, pub, bar, restaurant and stuff to basically shut and only do takeaways and only yep. sort of essential stores like supermarkets are allowed to be open. So we, yep. it seems like we're moving towards a shutdown. Um, but yeah, I was, I feel like I was drinking from the fire hose uh, a bit earlier than here in the UK. And so, yeah, basically my, my point is... So that's why you've been isolating yourself for a longer time. <laughs> uh, no, so actually... <laughs> I've been I've probably been, I've been isolating myself for maybe like five days now or something four days. Okay, that's reasonable. That's around the time everyone started isolating themselves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I feel like I needed I needed all the <laughs> I needed to be ahead of the curve to start like drinking from that fire hose because yeah. I, my general response to things is like ah people are overreacting. <laughs> it's nothing. Mm. I'm not going to do anything about this. <laughs> yep. And so I think it was useful for me to have been hearing all of this stuff over the past few weeks. Because now, you know, a few days ago, I was like, whoa, okay, we, we'd better talk, start taking this seriously. Yeah, I mean, it's it's quite concerning in the UK. Like, um, you know, if you look on Brighton Beach, there are thousands of people on there just hanging out and having a good time. And it seems like a lot of the UK hasn't got the memo that actually, you know, this social distancing stuff is important. And the graph of kind of exponential cases is, quite, is, is looking quite scary in the UK. We were, we were at like 4,000 cases yesterday. Today, we're on 5,000. So like, you know, 20% increase in one day. And this is like it's, confirmed it's cases. There's there's almost certainly like oh God, mul- yeah. multiples of that that are actually floating around. Yes, quite. So what's been your kind of how how has your sort of view of this whole situation evolved over the past few weeks? Because like we've been kind of hearing about. I remember we had some we we made some like joke about it on the podcast like a month ago or like five weeks ago yeah. or something. That was when it was kind of just in China and when people were like, oh, you know, if you have returned from Wuhan and you have a cough, then go and get tested. Yeah. So it was like. Not much of a thing back then in the rest of the world, but now obviously, like it's every, it's the only thing that's going on anywhere. Yeah. Um. So, I think it was it was about two weeks ago that I started to take this seriously. Um. That was sort of the week that I made this video, being like, right, guys, <laughs> I'm going to take this seriously now because I've kind of been ignoring it, and here's a lowdown of what's been going on. And kind of in in doing the research for that video, that was when I really started to appreciate that. Oh, this 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 could be a big deal i think even even then like you know in in hindsight we all probably should have been panicking a lot earlier not panicking but you know yeah but you know what i mean as in like really caring very hard about it even possibly even to the point of panic because panicking panicking gets a bad rep but panicking in the right sort of way early on (laughs) is preferable to kind of uh being blasé about it so kind of i uh I, I haven't wa- I haven't rewatched that video that I made two weeks ago. Um, but if I were to, I imagine I would be like, oh wow, I really had no idea what was what was coming. And I imagine kind of I feel like things are going to get very 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 bad. And so in a month's time, looking back on that video, looking back on this podcast, we probably still don't really have an appreciation of how bad things are going to get. Yeah, yeah. I think it's like I think it's 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 like the classic problem of trying you know trying to get people to care about something before something really bad happens that forces them to care about it. Because, yeah. you know, like, you know, you can kind of read statistics and things and you can sort of, you know, read some of these papers that are saying, like, this is how it's going to grow and stuff. Um, and it still doesn't feel that real, but you still have to, you need to somehow internalize the sort of 
intellectual aspect of what's going on yeah before, and I think, before I think, like a loved one dies for you to realize oh wow okay we better yeah, do something big deal i think it's sort of like people are sort of, of, of saying that this is kind of the worst the worst catastrophe uh, catastrophe to happen since world war ii but like in world war ii you literally see your mates going out to war you see the conscription people coming along you you see the bombs and the blitz like it's a different sort of vibe when you can see what's going on in front of you yeah whereas this is very much a oh we're watching the media and sort of intellectually being like oh hang on so far 233 people in the uk have died okay i guess that's quite a lot um okay cool and there's no real way of appreciating what those figures actually mean yeah yeah i think just as a very slight tangent i've always had a hard time appreciating death toll figures because i think maybe we've talked about this on the podcast before but like i'm now starting to calibrate my compass for like what is a significant number of people dying uh in like an event or something but i don't know i I think just from a very young age i always assumed that like there's just tons of people dying for all sorts of you know all all sorts of reasons preventable and not and so like you know then when occasionally you hear on the news that like oh like two two britons were in a car crash on a holiday in spain and died or something like my reaction is like okay all right like (laughs) you know and so like there's different there's different scales of like people dying that seems to count like i feel like in the uk if you're watching the media or something a very small number of people dying will be a big deal oh as in as as long as they're britain's dying then it's a big deal otherwise it's like you know a predator missile killed like 65 school children in in northern pakistan all right you know two seconds whereas one britain fell off a cliff in 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 this diving holiday yeah becomes becomes a big deal um do you want what i don't have the scissors no Sorry about that. That was Molly asking for the scissors. Um, <clears throat> there's a really good article that I read. I think I might have mentioned it on a pod a few weeks ago. It's called On Caring um, at a website, mindingourway.com. And this is, it's, it's all about like scope insensitivity. So like I used to think that, you know, when when you do that thing of imagining, okay, imagine that every day, like, you know, it's a reality that let's say 10,000 kids in Africa are going to die of hunger or malaria or something like that. Uh, you know, I honestly couldn't care less that 10,000 people are dying in Africa of malaria and hunger and stuff. And so I thought that that made me particularly sociopathic or particularly non-sensitive and, and all that stuff that I just like really, like emotionally, intellectually, I suppose intellectually I did, but like emotionally it, it didn't make me feel anything inside. Yeah. Um, but then uh, this article really, it really um, puts that feeling into words. So for example, his first paragraph is, I'm not very good at feeling the size of large numbers. Once you start tossing around numbers larger than than a thousand, or maybe even a (laughs) hundred, you're a good tosser, uh, the numbers just seem big. Consider Sirius, the brightest star in the night sky. If you told me that Sirius is as big as a million Earths, I would feel that's a lot of Earths. (laughs) If instead you told me you could fit a billion Earths inside Sirius, I would still just feel like that's a lot of Earths. The feelings are almost identical. In context, my brain grudgingly admits that a billion is a lot larger than a million and puts forth a token effort uh, a token effort to feel like a billion Earth-sized star is bigger than a million Earth-sized star. But out of, con- out of context, if I wasn't ac- anchored at a million, when I heard a billion, both of those numbers just feel vaguely large. And uh, sort of, he goes on to say that, for example, billions of people live in squalor with hundreds of millions of them deprived of basic needs and or dying from disease. And though most of them are out of my sight, I still care about them. The loss of a human life with all its joys and sorrows is tragic no matter what the cause, and the tragedy is not reduced simply because I was far away, or because I did not know of it, or because I did not know how to help, or because I was not personally responsible. Knowing this, I care about every single individual on the planet. The problem is my brain is simply incapable of taking the amount of caring I feel for a single person and scaling it up a billion times. I lack the internal capacity to feel that much. My care-o-meter simply doesn't go that far, and this is a problem. And so, and then he he kind of goes on to talk about how, um, because of scope and sensitivity, we all like we all are sort of massively undergive stuff to charity that will save multiples of people rather than single individuals because we feel like oh I don't care twice as much that two people are dead compared to when one person is dead. I certainly don't care a thousand times as much if a thousand people die versus one person dies. Therefore, oh I guess you know this someone's going to sort this problem out. Um, and kind of reading this whole article, we'll link it in the show notes. It just made me feel like, oh, damn, you know, the the answer is to do the right thing anyway, even when your internal care-o-meter doesn't stretch as far to actually appreciate the size of death. Yeah, yeah, that, that's that's really good. And I think, yeah, I've actually had very similar experiences 
um, for many years where I've always felt like, hmm, I don't really care about all this stuff that I must, I must be like insensitive or like, you know, something like that. And it was actually, I was having dinner with a few friends, um, maybe like two weeks ago, maybe somewhere between two and three weeks ago. Um, and this was, I mean, yeah, it, it was still early days for like the corona. I actually, I think people were starting to worry about it in the UK. So obviously the topic of coronavirus came up at this dinner and we were kind of talking about it. And then I was, you know, trying to gauge like, oh, you know, are you guys worried? That kind of thing. And at one point, one of my friends, uh, so there were four of us at dinner, um, and one of my friends said something along the line. Oh yeah, he works in he works in training or something, and he said something along the lines of, "Oh yeah, it's like it's like the markets are going crazy or something." Um, he basically insinuated that that uh, his company was was making good money off of the volatility in the markets. Okay, and, yeah. and then he said, uh, he said something like, "But obviously, it's 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 uh, it's a it's a big tragedy, and it's really sad what's going on." And uh, then I was like, "Right, okay, <laughs> let me stop you right there." <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> And then we were trying to judge, like, okay, how much do you actually, like, care? Okay, so, he, he, yeah, he said that it's a tragedy. And I was like, well, okay, why is it, why is it like, sad or whatever? And he was like, well, I mean, it's obvious, right? Like, people are dying, right? <laughs> and I was like, yeah, but, like, do you actually care about that? And then we were trying to figure out, like, how much do you care about it? And then we were trying to figure out, like, who is the most distant person to you that would have to die for you to be sad about it, you know? Hmm. And we, you know, yeah. we kind of... We're kind of, I, no, I've actually made notes from this whole dinner oh, in okay. Rome. So let me just bring up my notes. Oh, you started using Rome? Yeah. Is it good? Uh, yes. Okay. So should I start using it? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's just like a, an absolute no brainer compared to like Notion, Evernote and things like that. Yeah, but okay. again, like my bottleneck is just me not using it regularly enough. Uh, <clears throat> all right. Let me how's find. The, how's the quick capture on it? Uh, they've recently, made like a mobile web version which is all right oh okay oh my god this was ages ago march 4th this was oh, okay two and a bit weeks ago uh okay conversation topics tiktok someone's trip to somewhere and ah, coronavirus okay and then ah yeah so this my friend said we shouldn't forget that it's actually a very sad thing because lots of people are dying in my notes i've written i started trying to understand what he meant whether he actually felt sad Ah, the other, the next bullet point is tried to figure out the most distant person we'd still feel something for if we found out that someone. Oh no, no, okay, All right, we're we're going on a massive digression here, but I think this is worth it. So it yeah, th- be. this is you know, just to kind of bring us back to how we got here. This is about the careometer and like how much how much can we actually care for people that you know we don't actually know. And so the the thought experiment we had was, uh, who is the most distant person to you that you still feel something for? if you found out that someone they loved was terminally ill. So it's not like this person, it's not like the person you know is, is terminally ill or die or, or dead. It's that someone that they love. So you, your friend, a loved one of your friend or a loved one of your family member or a loved one of your, you know, acquaintance is terminally ill. How distant does that acquaintance have to be for you to still uh, care about it? Um, and wait, so how how are you defining care about it? <laughs> because yeah, I'm getting exactly. a bit concerned. <laughs> um, and yeah, so then we kind of got into this, and uh, one of my friends proposed that there there are sort of there are different kinds of sad that you feel. There's a there's a there's like first hand sadness, and then there's like a second hand sadness where you feel sad for someone else. So, for example, if you found out that your friend's mum had died, um, let's say you don't know your friend's mum at all, you'd still yeah. probably feel pretty sad because your friend is. Um, pretty sad uh and that's a, uh, and uh, what was proposed was that that's a different kind of sadness to if your own mum had died for example okay uh so that was one way we were trying to like understand this idea of caring and i think that's i think that kind of makes sense um okay yeah but then yeah yeah so i was really because like a lot of, uh, basically two okay so uh, there were th- there were three other people at this dinner one of the guys is like a you know, he's pretty, he doesn't, I feel like he doesn't say things without thinking. The other two were giving a lot of lip service to like caring about stuff. And so mm. I was trying to, yeah, I was trying to understand like how much they actually care. And I think I asked, you know, asked questions like, okay, if you find, if you find out that like 10, 10 people died of coronavirus in Spain last week, how much do you, yeah, how much do you actually care about it? Is it like if, uh, is it like if the waiter gets your order wrong just now? Like which of those two do you care about more? Um, 
And then we never really got to, we never got to any good answers because I think there's just different, different kinds of caring. I don't know. Yeah. It's also one of those things that I guess people wouldn't really want to admit. Like, honestly, in, in that circumstance, I would, I, I, I would care more about my order being wrong or my octopus sashimi not tasting very nice than the fact that 10 randomers died in Spain. Okay. No, no, just, no, no. Okay. So you, you say that, but if I, if I offer you two options, I said, Hey, Ali, you can either get the right order or 10 people will die in Spain. <laughs> oh, then, <laughs> then, uh, then, oh, then, yeah, obviously. You'd I'd, like, I'd, I'd obviously pick the uh, tuna sashimi. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, so like, it's hard, you know, it's, it's, it really is hard to say, like, what do you, you know, if someone says they what care. What do you mean by care? Yeah, because yeah. is it a case of, I would rather this didn't, this thing didn't happen? Sure, I would much rather that 10 people stayed alive in Spain rather than me get my octopus sashimi right. Yeah. But, but like, the, it, whether it emotionally affects me is. Yes, yeah. It's it's maybe compar- I mean you almost certainly the octopus sashimi emotionally affects you more than uh, oh god yeah but that's that's just because of you and octopuses but <laughs> we won't go there <laughs> that's a bit of a rogue joke to make <laughs> so um, yeah the I think the carometer is a is an interesting thing and I mean so do you believe your carometer is like calibrated pretty standardly like you're not you're not like significantly below average on the care on the caring spectrum um i think overall i probably am below average on the caring spectrum just because sort of comparing myself against uh, i it's hard to say i I suppose in terms of kind of day-to-day things that happen i tend not to care about most things like you know if someone overtook me on the on the road i wouldn't care whereas someone else might fly into some kind of road rage if someone overtook them on the road and you know if something no no that's a different carometer yeah that's that's so all right so let's talk about the carometer of like i guess you see something on the news and it actually affects you like emotionally no honestly i think i think mine is pretty pretty average compared to people um on on that note actually so i was i was in a podcast recording with these two dudes who were involved in the effective altruism stuff uh because they seen my video where i talked about taking the 10 percent pledge about giving 10 percent of my income to charity every year to save lives and blah 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 and I asked them kind of like at the end of this, they were like, have you got any questions for us? And I was like, yeah, guys, I'm, I'm curious as to, because for example, our friend Lucia, who's big into effective altruism, um, her whole thing is that the suffering of others like genuinely emotionally affects her and therefore, and that sort of drives her to do this like amazing volunteer charity work. Whereas for me, it's like the, the suffering of others does not at all emotionally affect me unless it's something I can see or unless it's a very moving story, usually for one person. But like something on the media is tends not tends not to affect me, but I just sort of know rationally that it's the right thing to do to, you know, give some money away to help help people survive essentially. Yeah. And I asked these guys, you know, given that these guys were involved in effective altruism, what end of the spectrum were they? And they were very much kind of my end of the spectrum. Yeah. So that made me feel really happy. I was like, oh, good. That doesn't mean I'm an outlier. It means Lucia's the outlier. She yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think Lucia's definitely an outlier. <laughs> So yeah, overall, I think my own carometer is pretty average, and this article, like on caring, made me kind of appreciate that even more. That actually, you know, scope and sensitivity in humans is a, is is a thing, and you know, my tiny brain cannot just just cannot fathom a thousand lives dying compared to one life dying. Yeah, how do we get onto this? We're talking about the main. So yeah, the main conundrum is this thing of like, how seriously do you take something that you can't see? Yeah, and like, and, and like the the the, yeah, the reason it's worth talking about that is because. I think the go- the goal should be to try and like figure out how you can make yourself care about these like invisible, invisible sort of almost intellectual things before they become more than that. You know? Mm. Yeah, it's sort of like the environment in a way. Yeah, it's it's like I find it very very difficult to quote care about the environment. Yeah. Like I know intellectually that the environment is an important thing to maintain and bloody bloody blah, blah, but it just does not emotionally affect me to any degree at all. But people say sometimes say that, oh, you know, I went to the Gulf of Mexico or whatever where I saw the oil spill and I saw birds dead with oil, like, in in their intestines or something. <laughs> and then I realized, oh, crap, this oil thing is a big deal. Yeah. Perhaps, perhaps it takes kind of seeing something firsthand like that. Or like how kind of intellectually I know that kind of battery farming for chickens and cows and stuff is probably a bad thing. But I haven't seen, like, Cowspiracy or any of these kind of documentaries where people say that this documentary had a huge impact on my life. Yeah. So maybe it is something about kind of visually seeing it in a way that makes you care about it, either through a story form or something like just like something really moving or through, for example, someone very close to you dying, for example. Yeah. So one of my uh, 
one of my Twitter friends, uh, he he claimed yesterday that there is. Uh, do you know Peter Atia, Ali? He has a podcast. Oh yeah, Peter Atia. Peter Atia has a few times. He's gone and done a podcast about the coronavirus. A podcast episode about the coronavirus. And my Twitter friend, uh, my Twitter friend Ryan, claimed that the first thirty minutes of that podcast episode uh should you know actually he he ryan reckons that if everyone listens to the first 30 minutes of this it will actually get your heart in the right place it, 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 not just your mind when it comes oh, to like this thing yeah okay wait which which episode is this i'm looking at his uh it is... 99 peter hotez continuing the conversation on coronavirus uh yeah yeah 99 continuing the conversation on coronavirus I think, I think that's maybe one. not. Yeah, it seems like the last three he's done have been on coronavirus. I, I need to start listening to this podcast more. This particular one, Peter here seems like a cool, good, cool dude. Yeah. So okay. So you said that like your heart, your heart was in it about two weeks ago after you made that YouTube video. Yeah, after I kind of started to research it. So what was like? Okay. What What did you find out in this research? Like, give us just give us like the TLDR of like your YouTube video. And then, like, uh, help me understand, like, what it was that made you start emotionally caring about this. I think emotionally caring about it is still a strong word. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> Hang on. Yeah, I think sort of when I was making this video, I still I still kind of thought of it intellectually because I guess the attitude that I had when I was making this video is that, okay, this is this is a virus. This is a pretty big deal. It's it's killing a lot of people, bloody blah. Um, and, but... I didn't quite appreciate at the time kind of the exponential rate of increase in places like the UK. I didn't quite appreciate because because at the time we didn't have the data from Italy to show just how bad things would get. And I think it was really when when doctors in Italy started weighing in on like, oh my God, like you can't believe what's going on in Italy. This is absolutely mental. That was when I started properly taking it seriously because Italy feels a lot like the UK, whereas Wuhan in China does not feel at all like the UK. Yeah. And so when it was in Wuhan in China, I was like, okay, cool, fine. And then the Chinese people were doing all their like uh, quarantining and stuff and it seemed to be working. Okay, fine. It's like, it feels like, it still feels very, very other. But when it's happening in Italy, which is basically across the doorstep and doctors are saying that, you know, our intensive care is completely full. We've run out of masks. Like, you know, people are dying on like right, left and center because we physically don't have enough ventilators and stuff. That was when I was like, oh crap, you know, this sort of appreciating what would happen if that were to happen in the UK. Yeah. Because I guess two weeks ago when I was making this video, I thought, oh, well, you know, at the at, at the time, 163 people had it in the UK. And I was thinking, OK, well, I mean, the NHS objectively is pretty good. We have a lot of intensive care beds. We have a lot of ventilators. If necessary, I mean, it's better to catch it in the UK than it is to have it in Pakistan where, you know, there's basically they don't have any of these kind of healthcare systems stuff going on. So, yeah, it was it was hearing other stories of doctors and their kind of perspective on the ground that was like, oh, crap, this is kind of a big deal. Ah, OK. And so, like, what did you start because doing I, after, like, two weeks uh, two weeks ago? Like, how how did your actions actually, like, change? Um, my ac- actions didn't really change too much up until, as in, uh, you, you know, up until the government started advising people to socially distance, which I think kind of makes sense because um, I, was, I, was, I was interviewing a respiratory consultant yesterday, uh, editing the video for it today on my live stream, actually. And he was saying that, look, you know, every country's response to this kind of changes depending on what state of the, what stage of the epidemic or the pandemic we're at. So at the moment, we are at, we're at a stage in the UK where social isolation is important. You know, two weeks ago, it was still a case of, okay, well, if you've been to these regions, then it's probably problematic. Like two weeks ago, I was going on a ski trip to France and we were also, we were, uh, a, few, a few of us were like, uh, is this a good idea? But then we were like, well, I mean, France doesn't have that many cases. Chances are we're not going to get infected. But, you know, whereas just like a week later, we wouldn't, we would, we wouldn't even consider like flying to a ski resort, especially yeah. now that all these ski resorts are closed. So like, it feels like as exponential increases, um, are prone to do, it feels like everything is happening all at once. Whereas at the start, it was a very slow that, oh, you know, we should probably care about this coronavirus thing. And then immediately it was like, oh crap, actually, yeah, we should stop travel to everywhere, every, every country in the world. Yeah. Yeah, the whole exponential thing is is very slow and then very fast. Isn't that like one of uh, Einstein's famous quotes or something? Like the fundamental error of man is the inability to understand the exponential function. <laughs> yeah, someone says something like that. <laughs> and people say that in context with like, of like compound interest and stuff and like yeah, yeah don't yeah, appreciate yeah. that 2 to the power of 8 is so 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 huge. Yeah. Like to the power of 8 rather here. Yeah. yeah, we've actually built a nice little uh, causal model to simulate uh the spread of the disease. 
No, hang on. Molly's saying something. Yes, Molly. Oh, um, okay. We need to pause podcast. We need to help Molly put stuff in the car. All right. So don't say anything because then we can cut out the silence. Right, we've got two minutes until Kirk stuff needs to be put in the car. So, um, where where were, where were we going with this discussion? So yeah, you said that like two weeks ago you started caring about this stuff because of what you heard. Uh, yeah, from your research you saw that bad stuff was happening in Italy, and that was like, whoa, the same thing could happen to us pretty soon. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I think that even now, so like earlier today I was having, had a cheeky uh, sort of eight-way Zoom call with some of my other medic friends, and like Paul in Singapore was talking about how kind of the what the Singaporean government is doing and their kind of health system's response to it. You know, we've got friends who are in hospitals in London where all of the intensive care beds have run out and they're trying to build like, they're trying to convert like 30 extra beds into intensive care units. And like, that's a big deal because a big hospital will have like 10 beds in intensive care. And to add another 30 on top of that is like a huge undertaking. Um, and as the sort of death toll is increasing and as we are genuinely starting to run out of masks and personal protective equipment and the government is saying that, oh, we're going to bring more of it in. We've also run out of reagents to actually run the tests. So now tests are having to be rationed, whereas a lot of people in the healthcare world are saying that actually, you know, surely you should be testing healthcare professionals rather than just telling them to self-isolate for 14 days because, you know, there's some hospitals in London that are just going to, that are just assuming that half of the workforce is going to be off sick at any one time. And that's what their modeling is kind of based around because of all the self-isolation that's going to happen. Um, so I think the more I hear from people on the ground in real life who are actually being impacted by it, the more real it seems. Because even in my hospital, like we've got, we, uh, as, as of Friday, like two days ago, we didn't, we didn't have a single confirmed case. And we had all these preparations, like we've, we'd, we'd set up the wards, the COVID-19 wards, we'd, you know, rearrange the tables in the cafeteria so that tables were more, more far apart. It's just, apart from those preparations going on, you just don't appreciate what kind of could happen until you start hearing stories from people that you know about how big a deal it is. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, so I mean, it's 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 very, very realistic that, you know, the whole country is going to end up in lockdown. We're going to be stuck in our houses and yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, there's going to be police blockades on the roads. And <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it definitely seems like we're heading in that direction. And yeah, I mean, other countries countries have started actually locking down and things. Yeah, I think it's, it's definitely going to happen in the UK. Hmm. I think the thing that really helped me, so I wasn't really taking this seriously. Okay, so actually, like, maybe f- from, like, four to six weeks ago, <laughs> um, my, my co-founder's girlfriend, who, who lives with us in London, she started, like, stockpiling food. <laughs> food and stuff like that. Like, we have, like, 50 liters of, of water in our cupboard. We have, like, tons of bath. She started, like, stockpiling food and supplies like six weeks ago and we were like laughing at her we thought she was crazy like um she's she's russian and so like we we were trying to get to the bottom of like why is she taking this so much more seriously than we are um and i think our main conclusion was that like growing up in russia the level i I guess like you know growing up in the uk your default assumption is that everything will be fine and like nothing can really hurt you and like things have to get pretty bad before you're like whoa (laughs) what if everything's not fine (laughs) What if I can get hurt? You know, some serious, serious shit has to go down for you to feel that way. And, uh, we, we kind of concluded that like growing up, growing up in Russia, the sort of threshold, the, the threshold for feeling immortal is, uh, a lot lower. Right. So as I was saying, six weeks ago, I definitely wasn't taking this seriously. I think maybe like two and a bit weeks ago, maybe around two weeks ago, Lucas read a blog post. Uh, there was, there was a medium post that was doing the rounds. Um, this was, this, this was where the tur the, the whole flatten the curve, uh, hmm. verbiage was coined. Is that, is that, uh, what does verbiage mean? I have no idea. <laughs> Let's look it up. <laughs> verbiage. <laughs> Fine. Did I use that one right? No, I didn't. <laughs> excessively lengthy or technical speech. <laughs> All right. Okay. Oh no, the, the way in which something is expressed. It's like oh, the wording. thing. Oh, cool, cool, cool. Yeah. So that's when you the... look at how the rule should be applied based on the verbiage. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, you, you might have heard, heard this term, like, uh, we need to flatten the curve. Um, and that was kind of, I think, coined by, I, 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 it doesn't matter who coined it. I don't want to make any false claims here. But basically, there was a blog post that was doing the rounds, uh, on the internet, uh, on the computer. And, uh, you know, Barack Obama tweeted this thing out. Like, you know, loads, of, ev- everyone was like tweeting this thing. And Lucas, my housemate slash co-founder, he read this post and then was like, whoa, okay, we, we're shutting this place down. <laughs> and uh, I think that kind of made him start taking it seriously. 
I haven't actually read the post myself. Did you read that one, Ali? The Medium post in your research? Uh, yes. Yeah, yeah. Can you give us a TLDR of that one? Well, of the flatten the curve thing? Yeah. Of I mean, the, the post, main... like the Medium post. Oh, I can't remember. It was ages ago. Okay. Like, so you're familiar with the flatten the curve verbiage? I'm familiar with all of this. Just explain it for our listeners. Okay. So basically, the idea of flatten the curve is, um, <clears throat> essentially, if you imagine, how do we, how do we explain this? So basically, when, when a pandemic or epidemic is happening, lots of people are going to get infected. The more people that get infected, uh, the quicker the disease runs through the population, essentially, and the quicker the disease dies out. The problem is that if too many people get infected and too many people require intensive care beds, at some point you get to an, you get to a level where at some point you get to a point where there are not, there are physically not enough beds. Like you are physically beyond the capacity of the entire country's healthcare system. And if the, if the number of cases requiring hospitalization exceeds the number of hospitals, hospital beds you have available at that point, doctors have to start making decisions about who lives and who dies and who gets given a bed and who, who, who gets turned away at the door. That's not a place you want to be. The idea of flattening the curve is the idea that if you manage to spread the pandemic out over a long period of time, yes, it lasts longer, but every day fewer people are affected than would be if everyone got infected at once. And therefore, you like over time, the same number of people gets affected, but actually your healthcare system has enough capacity to cope with it. And so if you imagine a graph like the graph that's been going around is sort of you imagine a sort of big kind of N, N-shaped graph that goes up very high. And then a flatter version of it was you squash the N down such that it's more of a, I think more it's of a hill. It's commonly called a bell curve. Not yeah. Okay, N-shaped fine. Bell curve. Bra. N-shaped curve. Fine. Bell curve. Uh, but it becomes a lot more shallower, more like a hill rather than a mountain. Yeah. So basically you're trying to minimize the number of people that are infected simultaneously. Because when lots of people are infected simultaneously, you have to do something about it. And maybe your hospital uh, healthcare system doesn't have enough capacity when there are too many people. Um, so that's, uh, that's, that's what this whole like flattening the curve thing is about. Uh, if you've heard that terminology. Um, so yeah, Lucas read this thing, then he started taking it seriously. I still wasn't taking it seriously at this point. This, this was like two weeks ago, I think. Uh, for example, I went to the gym a couple of times after that. And uh, one of our sort of friends who uh, lives in the same building as us, he, he managed to, this was uh, after all the hand sanitizers had run out everywhere. He managed to procure a bunch of hand, hand sanitizers for a very high price. And he was giving them out to people on our floor. And so we, we managed to uh, acquire some hand sanitizers. And then I started using that. Um, and uh, to be honest, I hate to say this, but I think the thing that made me start taking it seriously was just that like lots of lots of other people who I sort of think are reasonable and uh and who i trust they started taking it seriously like people yeah. people on twitter who i follow who i see as like these uh, these guys are incredible thinkers and you know and i see them as like reasonable people that like they wouldn't overreact to things in general they wouldn't like you know when, when these guys who i see as like very very thoughtful and measured kind of people when they start saying guys everyone should stay home then i would say to like whoa okay all right <laughs> All right, Michael Nielsen, I'm sold. <laughs> uh, so I think, yeah, it was basically the the social aspect or the the mimetic aspect, maybe that kind of made me start taking it seriously. Yeah, I mean that makes sense. Like once your your tribe starts taking things, yeah, seriously, yeah. Then you will start taking it. Yeah, yeah, and I think it was difficult for me because, like, I think it's the same for you. Like, you know, you and I, we don't watch the news and stuff. My general, you know, feeling is that people are always going to be making a big deal out of whatever's going on. Like there's a lot, just, just a lot of noise. And like, if I believed every time, you know, it's, it's like the, the boy who cried wolf, right? The, the media is yep. always crying wolf. I cannot sit there and like take it seriously every single time. Hmm. Um, so I, yeah, I guess I kind of rely on third trusted third parties, AKA my, my tribe, um, to do the vetting for me. A lot of yeah. I mean, I think, I think that's a reasonable way of thinking about it, to be honest. Because it's sort of the that rationale for not caring about the news and that most of the time it's noise rather than signal. Yeah. And if something serious is happening, then you will hear about it through other means rather yeah, than yeah, yeah. the news. Yeah. Like even now, like I can't like I've I've seen like two clips from BBC News and I sort of think that oh, it'd be kind of nice to have a TV with the news playing just so I can have more of a finger on the pulse of what's going on. Oh, dude, but, just just have Twitter open. Twitter is absolutely incredible. Like it is actually such a great time for Twitter. Like everyone is united. Like just. Tw- it, and my whole feed is just like coronavirus tweets. Oh, I mean, yeah, same. And then like, you know, then like the, the ensuing memes and like the jokes and like, it's actually like, you know, aside 
if we just put put to one side the fact that this is a terrible tragedy mm. it's kind of nice to have everyone kind of banding together um you know like i feel you know yeah on, on paper like i'm you know i'm stuck in quarantine or whatever i'm not leaving the house and stuff um but you've got all these comrades over the internet <laughs> yeah but the, there's all these comrades over the internet like everyone you know tw- everyone on twitter is just like um you know talking about the same thing like all of my friends are in the same position or it's like you know working from home stuck at home kind of thing and so it doesn't feel honestly it feels kind of nice and i i actually i read this very good um piece by a guy whose uh blog post i've recommended before on this podcast a guy called morgan housel uh this is it's a piece called common enemies uh and he basically talks about like i'll, I'll read some excerpts out he uh the, the post begins Everyone wants a map, just a simple guide to what's going to happen next. In search of a map, it's become common to try to match our current situation to past crises. Is this like 2008, the global financial crisis? Is this similar to 9-11? Is this like the 1918 flu pandemic? Or maybe the Great Depression? Uh, and he says, none of, the, none of those fit today's ordeal. Uh, today's halt in economic activity is worse than 2008. The enemy is more invisible than 9-11. Our medical knowledge far exceeds that of 1918. Um, policy response is now faster and deeper than in the Great Depression. Uh, none of these events offer a map of what might happen to us next. Uh, few, few historic events ever do. Big events grow big because they're complex, and complexity never repeats itself in its exact form. Um, but as Voltaire said, history never repeats itself. Man always does. Uh, and so he basically thinks that World War II is a accurate historical map for the cultural kind of impact of the coronavirus. Uh, and he says that, uh, yeah, he says the w- World War II is the right comparison, not the battle of the geopolitics, but World War II united most of the world against a common enemy in a way that's incredibly rare. Uh, cooperation within and between countries surged. And he says the fight against COVID-19 is nearly identical in that respect. This may be the first time since the 1940s that so much of the world is united so firmly against such a specific foe. Um, and uh, he says that what what unity did to people's behaviors, their abilities, their outlooks, their incentives, surprised many during World War II. And if history is any guide, we're about to be surprised again. Uh, and I won't read out the whole article, but essentially, like he was he was saying that like the vibe in the U.S. Uh, when it was announced that the country is going to war was like a very special, particular thing. Uh, you know, like but in World War II, like the government basically. Um, increased taxes significantly on on basically everyone uh and uh franklin roosevelt said in a speech he said uh he said are you a businessman or do you own stock in a business corporation well your profits are going to be cut down to a reasonably low level by taxation uh indeed in these days when every available dollar should go to the war effort i do not think that any american citizen should have a net income in excess of twenty five thousand dollars per year after payment of taxes um and uh Morgan, the, the the writer says that the most amazing part about all of this uh, is that Americans were actually okay with that, um, and it kind of yeah it brought the country together. Uh, and and you know he, he also talks about like the UK during the Blitz. You know people had to literally go into underground bomb shelters because the city was being bombed. Uh, and in those kinds of conditions, you'd expect there to be a significant rise in uh, things like um, mental health illnesses and you know, depression and suicide and all this kind of stuff. Um, but by all reasonable estimates, uh, most of you know, the numbers for all these things actually dropped because there was something about, you know, this thing, the blitz, the war that brought people together that, uh, yeah, emergency services in London reported an average of only two cases of bomb neuroses a week. Psychiatrists watched in puzzlement as longstanding patients saw their symptoms subside during the period of intense air raids. Uh and uh, apparently, you know, in these bomb shelters, the conduct was so good that volunteers never even had to summon the police to kind of maintain order within these bomb shelters. Um, if anything, the crowd policed themselves according to unwritten rules that made life bearable for complete strangers jammed shoulder to shoulder on floors that were at times awash in urine. Basically, you know, the, the long and the short of it is the war kind of brought people together in a very special way that doesn't happen very often. Um, and, you know, that's not to say that this is a silver line. Yeah, calling this as a a silver lining is a is a bit far. He says, um, but he, he says, I wonder if we'll look back at COVID nineteen as one of the worst things to happen to us, yet triggering something positive that couldn't be achieved in any other way. 
Um, so yeah, we'll link the post, but I, I have actually felt this myself of like, you know, a feeling of camaraderie and we're all in this together. And, you know, I very rarely act. I, I'm very rarely, yeah, I don't like, uh, yeah, I don't really care about stuff like the environment too much because I feel like I, I'd, I'd be playing a very small part in a very big machine and it's not really worth it. Um, it's, it's very rare that I actually end up getting on board with playing a small part in a big machine. Uh, and I definitely feel on board in this and it feels, it, it, it something about it feels nice, you know? Yeah. So uh, me and some, some other doctor colleagues were having a similar discussion. We was because in, in all the hospitals, like all of the routine things have been canceled. Like there are no elective theater operations or people waiting for hip replacements and, you know, like non life threatening operations, all of that's been canceled. And we were all surprised as to how okay everyone is with this. Like, like in a way people were almost glad that their surgery had been cancelled because they knew that it was in aid of the war effort yeah and so there's this real sort of interesting sense of uh sort of where everyone is viewing the the doctors the healthcare professionals as the good guys and you've got all these kind of companies now being like you know starbucks offering free coffee and mcdonald's offering free food and like all these retailers and restaurants and stuff saying if, if you work for the emergency services we'll give you 50 percent off everything we'll give you free coffees and it seems like, and uh, so the the cynical way of looking at it, one of the one of them was saying was that, well, uh, like at the moment, the public is on the doctor's side, but in six months' time, as this progresses and progresses, as you know, the waiting lists get further and further behind for people having these non life threatening but still like really you know troublesome things like hip replacements and you know vulval surgery and and all this sort of stuff, as that starts to fray on fray on people's uh, emotions and the tempers and stuff, then the the uh the vibe might, towards the doctors and the healthcare professionals might change but at the moment it feels like a very <clears throat> like it does feel like a genuinely nice time to be at work like i am much more excited to go to work these days than i've ever been before <laughs> and i think the main reason is because of the camaraderie that you get amongst everyone yeah wait what are you actually doing at work are you doing like coronavirus stuff no so i'm i'm on my obstetrics and gynecology placement so you're so doing, what they've st- done you're doing the that- usual stuff I'm doing the usual stuff, except that there's a bit less of it because all the routine stuff's been cancelled. Yeah. Um, but they are keeping us on the same rotations where we were all, like all the, all the foundation doctors in the country were due to rotate to new placements on April the 1st. Yeah. But now they're saying that everyone's going to kind of basically stay where they are because they don't want to have that sort of period of a few weeks of destabilization, which inevitably happens whenever doctors en masse move to different rotations. Right. But they're also saying, so I'm going to be staying on obstetrics and gynecology, but the idea is that you know, when called upon, I will have to sort of scrub into the COVID-19 war effort. Yeah. And perhaps go to a or perhaps go to the one of the, one of the general medical wards. Yeah. Okay. So that's we're cool. all, we're all in this together. Yeah. There's been canceled universities, exams. It's all, it's all, it's all very interesting. Yeah. It must be, it must be an interesting time to be at university because it's like having, it's like my Twitter feed, but in real life. <laughs> Why is it like a Twitter feed, but in real life? I mean, you know, just lots of people like interacting and, in, in yeah, I mean, everyone's gone home now, so... Yeah, 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 but, like, yeah. that must have been an interesting time. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, I always think that, like, it's definitely a very interesting and crazy time, and there's definitely a sense that, like, we're living through history right now, and that this will be something in the history books, you know, a few decades from now. But it doesn't f- it doesn't feel like I thought it would feel, you know? Because, like, when you, when you learn about, like, the, you know, the war and stuff, and you learn about all these, like, historical events, it mm. seems so, like... I don't know. You you just feel like it, it. It seems like it was like a huge shock to shock to the system, and like obviously the war the war was a huge shock to the system. But like I don't know. Actually, yeah, maybe, maybe this is a special case of me because like I work from home anyway, so like my my life hasn't uh, radically changed or anything. But yeah, it, it's weird that we'll kind of look back on this as like this mad thing. But I don't know. It doesn't feel to, for me personally. My life doesn't feel that different. I guess. Does yours feel different? um it does in the sense that we're all we're taking the social distancing thing very thing very seriously yeah um and i suppose that's like the main thing yeah i guess so yeah yeah hmm. okay i guess i wasn't really and it's, and, and it's like you know i didn't i didn't come home this weekend like actively because of social distancing yeah yeah <laughs> it's a convenient reason <laughs> <laughs> you've been social distancing for years <laughs> <laughs> but now i've got a reason to do it <laughs> um yeah, the other the other thought that I had was that it's like I know something about the whole situation has like exposed how fake everything is. Like 
<laughs> it's almost as if like normal life is this ridiculous theater where everyone like has 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 their role or whatever and we're all like we're all, like playing these parts in this in this bizarre little theater production <laughs> and then like the coronavirus happens and everyone's like all right, guys, we're gonna we're gonna take a break. <laughs> take off your take off your costumes, like everyone. Just like you know, we're uh, we're gonna we're gonna forget about all that stuff for a while. And it's kind of like yeah, a lot of people are like yeah, saying that like how how fake it, it makes lots of jobs seem. That like hmm. you know, <laughs> yeah, I guess I could work from home. Sure, it doesn't really change anything for me. <laughs> like even if I wasn't doing this, like what's what's actually gonna happen if I'm not doing this job, kind of thing. <laughs> And it's just kind of revealed, yeah, the the fake theatrical aspect of <laughs> sort of of life, and um, yeah, I guess have, having this actual pressing need and you know uh, actual issues going on that everyone has to solve, it's kind of put everything in perspective a bit. You have frozen for me now, so I I don't know. What, yeah, don't you've know. frozen for me as well, but you can still hear me, right? Oh, you're back. I can still hear you. Well, it's not my internet. It's definitely yours, mate. I've got my wired connection. Um, no, I know what you mean. Like, I think... Wait, can you still hear me? Hello? Okay, you've completely gone now. Yeah, you were completely... Did you say something just then? I said, can you hear me? I said, hello. Okay, it seems to be better. I can't hear you. Anyway, uh, I, f- I feel like we should wrap this up anyway. We've been going for a very long time, and I feel we've just kind of been having a general chat, a bunch of chat about what's been going on. Um, the, 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 uh, the way that this really kind of started to make sense for me was sort of thinking about what youtube videos to make and like 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 now any youtube video i make just seems completely trivial i'm <laughs> just like yeah yeah why does it why does it matter like who who actually cares <laughs> and because my my whole plan for kind of from august was to, was going to be to hashtag travel the world and uh you know like all of that is just obviously out of the window now and oh, yeah, thinks, oh hang on this is this is all just a game that we've been playing and you know it doesn't actually it doesn't actually matter who cares yeah so that's something that I'm I'm struggling with currently. Yeah, you broke up through a lot of that. So I I I, I call the general gist of it. Um, but I think cool. Yeah, yeah now be, it'll be recorded on my end, so you can abruptly yeah. wrap this up. Cool. So thanks for listening, people. See you later. Stay safe. Stay socially distant. Yep. Please stay in your homes as far as possible. Don't meet people. And uh, that's it for this week. Thank you for listening. If you like this episode, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or on the Apple Podcasts website. If you're not using an iPhone, there's a link in the show notes. If you've got any thoughts on this episode or any ideas for new podcast topics, we'd love to get an audio message from you with your conundrum, question, or just anything that we could discuss. Yeah, if you're up for having your voice played on the podcast and your question being the springboard for our discussion, email us an audio file MP3 or voice note to hi at notoverthinking.com. If you've got thoughts but you'd rather not have your voice played publicly, that's fine as well tweet or dm us at n overthinking on twitter please thanks again for listening and we'll see you next time